observe. everyone and welcome to episode 11 of the Observer Report show. I'm Kyle Brennan joined as ever by my beautiful co-host Keith Sullivan. Keith, how are we doing today? I'm good. It's just awkward sometimes sitting in this chair, you know? Well, it's a very uncomfortable looking chair. It's fine. That's why I gave it to you. I never I never know if I use the pillow on the back or my ass or whatever, so it's just kind of like I got to get ready again. I'm always trying to fix my posture you wherever see? I am. Yeah. I feel like my, like my shoulders are always forward. Yes. Like I'm always trying to like Remind myself. You ever do that? You ever, you ever try to fix your posture and like, it's literally you, like. You can't look normal when you do it. You, you look like, like just, an asshole. You're like. I feel like a freaking droid from Star Wars. Yeah. And then you fix it, right? And, and it goes right back to what, like <laughs> within 30 seconds, it's just. Oh, yeah. You fall apart. It's Even impossible. if you're consciously keeping it in your head, it still just goes to shit after a while. Like, I remember my roommate, Joey, in college. I'd literally like walk into his room when he was studying. And he'd be perfectly on the edge of his seat, just like typing and or like head in a book. Mm. I'm like, how do you just maintain posture? And he had like a six pack. And I was like, is that is it just because he just stands upright? Yeah, life? I think it's just because if if yeah, I mean, maybe the stand up desk maybe helps I use with a stand-up people. Desk, but I do still you? slump. Yeah, you know? I don't know why. And like, I also noticed though, it does help with everything. I've started running recently again, I'm training for something. But like, just while you're running, even just getting that like. Oh, let me let me get my shoulders, you know, like yeah. give a shit a little bit. It gives you some extra, you so know. I like to, I hang a uh, pull up bar outside of my bathroom. So yeah. anytime I go to the bathroom, I'll do I'll either hang or just do a couple pull ups. Right, and that instantly just yes. like, perks you up a little bit too. I have a weird thing. Like I notice when I run, I just feel like my spine compresses mm. every step you take over time. So like hanging, I set up a pipe at work in the ceiling, and I just hang. And you feel like it, like an accordion, like yeah. your spine just like yes, yeah, just unwinds. There's like a little toy that goes. It's like that exactly. The dog from Toy Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slinky dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I. The first time I actually noticed where like posture makes a huge difference was first time I actually lost like a significant amount of weight. Was I lost like 30 pounds when I was like 17, and instantly my I noticed like oh shit like this 30 pounds was actually making a huge impact on my posture. And like, I would actually be slumping. And then when I lost the weight, I was able to like stand upright for the first time. So that was, that was pretty wild to realize like how much just the weight that's on your front part, like sags sure. your shoulders yeah. and stuff. So that was when I was 21, I noticed I was, I was like 240 back then. And like maybe Damn. even a little more. Yeah, I was. Wow. I was like 245 even. And dude, like I don't know what happened, but when I was 21, I looked like I was 48. And I was like, I looked like a guy with like three kids. Like, And then I don't know what happened. I just got older and shit. But like now I look my age-ish. But yeah, like having extra, you don't even realize how fat you are when you're fat sometimes yeah. is my point. And like it does fuck with everything. It, that's probably why I still have the the forward leaning issue and the shoulders are straight you know it, it's hard to keep it all together I feel like you can be in good shape and still just have bad posture i don't know yeah yeah or always everyone's trying to work on their posture yeah know? i'm trying to work on a lot of things man but goggins looks good when he runs he's got yeah. fucking everything's just right mm-hmm. you know he doesn't fall apart that guy there's some people who are just built like mannequins you know they just mm-hmm. like they they like a t-shirt never fits them awkwardly like yeah. i feel like sometimes i realize like 
if I try on a t-shirt, it looks good in the store, and then I get home, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I look terrible in this. What am I doing? <laughs> so, I, I always, you know what, it, me, and Tom, me and my brother always talk about this. Guys who can pull off the collared shirt with a sweater over it. Yeah. Fuck those guys. I can't, I don't know. How they, do they pull that that's off? That's like a Ryan Reynolds body. That's like the most you uncomfortable, be, like, yeah. I'm always fucking pulling my shirt, my sweat, sweater down. Yeah. But guys who can just, like, have the body that just mannequin, it just stays mm-hmm. put. Yeah, you try it on and you're like, dude, how is this the same thing? It looks like a joke on me. <laughs> I've tried that. I think on Easter one year I wore a chaps over a collared chaps, shirt. That's, that's a good like yeah. Christmas company. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it, it looked terrible. But like, it's, it's more about what you're doing. I won the um, ugly sweater contest that year. When I was, uh, I had an ugly sweater contest that I went to. And I, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's a little paradoxical. I won for being the worst. It's a little... I mean, there were literally jingle bells and like tinsel hanging off the fucking thing. It was like a joke, you know? Speaking of paradoxes, we got to get into this book we both read called The Immortality Key. Yep. Um, I I say paradox because if you guys haven't read The Immortality Key... Um, by Brian Mirror Rescue. Yeah, I didn't know how to say his last he was, name. I was so, going to ask yeah, you. Yeah, we heard about it. I assume you heard about it the same way I did. Joe Rogan talks about like a few, a handful of books all the time. He talks about like Chaos by Tom O'Neill. Yeah, Sapiens. Sapiens and Immortality Key was one that he always brings up. And one of my friends, uh, Gina, actually, she bought it and started listening to it. And she was like, oh, Kyle, have you... I assume you've read this, right? And I'm like, shit, no, I actually haven't. And she was like, it's, it's amazing. You got Gina, it. Gina? Like yeah. the Gina I know? Yeah, Gina. Okay. Shout um, out Gina. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, all right, I got to read it now. So just so we can talk about it. And then I had no idea until we started talking about recording this episode that you're also reading it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty funny that that worked out. But um, yeah, I say paradox because when you read a book like this, this book in a nutshell is about the idea that the original Christian religion and the uh, traditions and the ceremonies all of that was influenced by some kind of a psychedelic experience is basically what this guy's argument is is that the idea of religion in general the genesis of it was from some kind of a psychedelic trip let's call it um but i say paradox because these books these kinds of discussions always remind me that our mind reveals itself to itself and that's a weird thought, right? Like your your brain, your mind asks the question and also gives you the answer, right? Like it's a weird kind of relationship between your mind and reality where it can't exist without the other, both of them. Like you're only experiencing anything because of it. You know what I mean? And it right. reminds me of that quote, and I know that you know it, and I know, but it's important nonetheless, that if our minds... We're so simple that we could understand them. We would be so simple that we wouldn't be able to, right? So there's this never-ending right. ch- like chase between who we are and our uh, ponderings and what the answer is. And we'll never quite figure everything out. I'm, I'm a big fan in general of, of books like these and um, guys who are doing similar work like this, like Graham Hancock, um, where it's... Some people may argue it's, you know, conspiracy or revisionist history, but in my opinion, it's just like, well, we, why should we believe the, the things that we've just inherently been told about religion, about societal structures, about language, 
um, about the formation of societies and, you know, the governance of it. And I really appreciate while you don't have to believe the theory inherently or Mm -hmm. wholesale, it is an interesting exploration to be like, well, why was there kind of this explosion in religion and this belief in God kind of from the, that area of the globe, right? It was like, uh, kind of around the Mediterranean sea, right? It was Greece, Turkey, um, that whole, uh, the fertile crescent kind of area. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the argument that Brian Muir rescue kind of posits is that Christianity from the Romans started in about 350, uh, AD or after death. I don't even know if that's what it stands for. That's what it is. After death. Yeah. Prior to that, from about 35 or about 1500, um, BC to 350 AD, um, there was essentially this secret Greek, um, mystery religion that in, uh, Eleusis, which is about, uh, 13 miles Northwest of Athens. Um, and there are stories and, some are kind of like religious type fables and some are actual stories from philosophers like Socrates and Plato of um, traveling from Athens to Eleusis to take part in this sacred ritual. Mm. Um, and the theory that Brian Murray Rescue has through tons and tons of research, it's a 500 plus page book, is that at these ceremonies, um, the Greeks would ingest a wine um, mixture and what the Greeks used to do was actually they would mix the wine with fruit to ferment it. Um, so it wasn't just wine as we know it now. It was more wine mixed with a bunch of herbs and fruits and other things that would ferment. And the theory is that um, uh, fungus would grow within this wine. And that some he, he doesn't quite know if it's something that, um, that was intentional yeah. or something that was by accident. But a fungus grows called ergot, which actually has the same effects when ingested as LSD. Right. And his theory is that this religion basically formed because when you ingest kind of psychedelic or hallucinogenics like that, you experience a realm that unless you have kind of partaken in those experiences that you don't quite understand, but it is as close to a religious or spiritual experience of either feeling god's presence as cheesy as that sounds or feeling the presence of death in some way and not Mm -hmm. in a scary way but more of in a welcoming acceptance of there is there are things out there larger than myself and i am a part of a large organism essentially yeah and that theory is that the religion people would basically go and have these experiences and the religion was based on that and that when the Romans came in 350, they were basically like, what the fuck is this? We need to get rid of this sacred tradition. And they kind of refabricated that religion into what Christianity is today, which is a lot about restriction and and obviously not all about restriction, but some of the stories were very yeah. similar. Yeah. Uh, it's just wild. Like It's a wild book. And like that's why I brought up the mind before, because a lot of the research that this guy was, t- that Brian talks about in the book Murrah Rescue, is that how you say it? Brian Murrah Rescue. Murrah Rescue. Feels like you're yeah, stuttering. Yeah, so um, a lot of people, you know, to this day when they take psilocybin, when they take LSD, they, they, they report a lot of the same experiences when they come down from their trip. You know, a very common vision is a snake head, for example, with the eyes and, 
you know, uh, looking in at you and looking through you and you, it's not necessarily like intimidating as much as it is welcoming. And a lot of people talk about these spirits, these beings on the other end of the, of the, of the realm that are more real than reality. They say it's more real than not being high. Like it's more, it's more real. They say it's ineffably real. Like Mm -hmm. it's, you know, for a fact, this isn't like, oh, I'm just tripping. I'm just, you know, hallucinating. This is actually happening to me, right? And like, you know, Aldous Huxley wrote The Doors of Perception. And that's that's why I brought up the mind because the mind is this, it's almost like the fourth dimension. Like some people have issues with like, what's the fourth dimension? Like think of it this way, like there's in our world or our realm of experience, there's up, down, left, and right, like, you know, but in the in your mind, there's the future, there's the past as well, there's the potential future, there's the you know uh, you know a reconstruction of the past. So there's like time as well in there, and because of that, some people believe that these psychedelic experiences can help you tap into these archetypal ancient experiences that every human being with a DNA strand has ever had, and that's why we all seem to kind of report the same thing. You know? that, that to me is one of the more interesting things is the fact that people report the same seeing the stuff. same visions right. where and yeah look if you've never done these things or you are religious yourself and have skirmished some of these hallucinogenics or drugs as bad or you know you're going down the wrong path I get it but at the same time there is significant research literature and like academic study yeah. from Johns Hopkins, NYU, top, top researchers going into obviously the, the positive benefits of MDMA or ecstasy, um, psilocybin mushrooms, LSD on the effects of uh, depression, PTSD, anxiety, addiction, mm-hmm. um, because it's really such a profound, like you said, ineffable experience that words, like we can try to talk about it ad nauseum yeah. on this podcast, but unless you've experienced it, you don't quite understand that realm. And it's why, you know, the image that you see is people, you know, who wear freaking like wooden beads and like, you know, long scarves and stuff. And they talk about like, you know, let's banish society, man. And like, yeah, there is that degree, but obviously people who take it just get this appreciation for the fact that like we are so insignificant but also at the same time a part of something like i said larger than ourselves where you don't fear death anymore because you actually realize again this sounds super super freaking hippie dippy but you're never really alive or dead you're a yes. part you're a part of a large organism yes and when you whether you're alive or you're dead you're still part of that organism right and one thing that Brian Murray talks about actually, which is interesting, was that um, women were actually the ones who were yeah. the, the leaders. It was matriarchal, yeah. It was matriarchal because the snake visions that you talked about were people reported kind of the vision of like Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. Kind of t- it was not a scary snake. It was a kind of tender, motherly, godlike figure that people see in these visions. And-, and the snake is a very popular symbol in Christianity to this day. There's a lot of snake you know, the snake in the garden, there's like a whole cathedral, I believe, that's built in the shape of a snake or uh, in, in some country, I forget what it is, but it, it, from the from the 
bird's eye view from the top, it looks like the silhouette of a snake. And even on the inside, there's like two eyes and like, it's the serpent, right? It's like that and, idea. And in Eleusis, the the, yeah. the city in Greece where this these things took place, Marcus Aurelius, who we love on yeah. this podcast. He's your, he's your guy. He's my guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's actually a statue built of him at Eleusis. I guess he was, when the Romans came in, he was one of the ones that was like, this is kind of interesting actually yeah, so yeah. they built a statue for him not surprising as we know his views um but uh there was a statue of him with a serpent in his chest and when, is it on a big tall pillar yeah I yeah so. i've seen pictures and when of the that. romans came in and i guess banished this secret uh religion in favor of catholicism they carved out the snake in favor of a cross and it's still there to this day oh, yeah so that's like one of those examples of like yeah i think the christians came in and right. they, got, they got rid of the matriarchal system and basically banished women from religion. Mm. Um, they got rid of this sacred, you know, um, hallucinogenic brew of sorts. But wine is still a part of the religious culture. So yeah. it's interesting that when you try to tell someone this today, like a, a, a grandma or a mother yeah, or something, yeah. right? Like it sounds obviously so ridiculous. But in my opinion, if you've experienced uh, psychedelics in those ways, like that's almost more religious than trying someone trying to teach religion. Right. And like, you just get it just like through rote memorization and through yeah. education and through reading, which yes, that can have an impact. But once you experience it and you actually feel that sure. presence. And, and then he goes into, you know, some of the things that were said, um, you know, like Albert Einstein has a very beautiful quote about nature and it's only so interesting. It's not like it's a big, profound quote, but it's because he said it and he was so insightful and imaginative. He said, if you walk through nature and you look around and you really, really pay attention, you will see something deeply hidden in it. And this is the guy who thought of the fabric of space-time, right? <laughs> like he... People believe that he could see things other people couldn't. And in the book, he talks about how in the Gospel of Thomas, he says, uh, recognize what's in front of you and what is hidden will be revealed. And it's like, you can imagine in a world where you're taking a, an ergot-infused wine and, you know, if you've ever experienced a psychedelic trip, like, it's almost like reality starts to melt away and you see this other thing that's here. Mm -hmm. And it's not like we have all the senses to see and pick up on everything. We can't see ultraviolet light. We can't see, you know, infrared. We can't see radio waves. Like there's things that we can't perceive, you know? And like, so, and that's why I go back to the mind a lot too because, you know, like you, you talked about if you're alive and dead, it doesn't really matter. You're still part of this collective consciousness, this collective, you know, organism. And it, I believe that, like, it, it, our capabilities for intellectual, hypothetical contemplation is reliant on a, operationally reliant on a system that has infinite bandwidth. Like, our brains can, it's, it's like they go into the past as well. Like, past experiences, genetic experiences, it's all in your DNA, and you're inheriting that. So this, the brain's like, it's almost like it's, an, it's a receiver, and consciousness is this broadcast. And you get to, if you have a brain, you get to take part oh, in and it. I, and I feel like of the experiences I've had, and I've, I've only really had positive experiences, but, and the reason is because I feel like it's, it gives me, 
the ability to explore a um, with a, either a, a sense is not the right word, but it allows me to basically explore a layer that I had never previously yeah. seen before. Right. So it allows me to be curious and be like, huh, is that always there? Or is yeah. that just hidden under our levels of perception sober? And once you ingest these things, which are natural mm-hmm. in some ways, um, it allows a, a new layer of perception and awareness that isn't otherwise accessible. Tangible. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that's kind of what this book made me really think about that. Like, I just imagined like all these people like tripping like back in the day, but like, it wasn't like for the idea of like, like you said, the hippie with the long hair and the tie dye t-shirt. It was like an actually, it was like a very serious thing. Yeah. I don't think they were just like partying. In no, a big hall. I, I, yeah. I think it was like, guys, we found a way to tap into the God realm, like where the spirits are right. and where, you know, the, the archetypes are and, you know, and we can really maybe even have a discussion with them. And you can imagine how that could become a religion. So this idea isn't insane to me, you know? I mean, it, it makes, like you said, it, it, it's not that it makes more sense because a part of me believes that religion is also or could have just been, you know, like a, a generational um, documentation of the best way to behave so that your life goes the best way that it can, right? Like a lot of the morals and values are just being a basic human being right. as far as you and I are concerned. But back in the day, that wasn't necessarily obvious, right? Like don't steal, don't kill anybody. Also the moral lessons and the stories themselves. And before Netflix, you know, stories were really entertaining and they mattered a lot to people, right? So there's a part of me that doesn't necessarily believe that this is exactly 100% true, but it makes sense, right? What does, what is definitely probably 100% true is that Beer was biochemically like the first experiment of humans basically concocting something, concocting a, you know, with a a biochemical product of Mm. ingestion. Mm -hmm. So uh, according to like the, the chromatography that they're able to do on these pots and clays that they're able to find in, you know, excavations, um, beer is actually older than bread. Really? If you think about it, like beer, it doesn't need to be at a specific temperature. It's literally just like, barley and water and just time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they think beer has always been integrated in, in society and beer also has the ability to grow this fungus in it that can produce hallucinogenic effects. Um, and we know wine was always involved in, in these societies. So whether it was hallucinogenic beer or hallucinogenic sure. wine, that's obviously up for debate. But the fact is societies as far back as, you know, 6,000 years ago were ingesting yeah. you know, kind of intoxicants of some sort. Yeah. Um, and that was involved in either culturally, religiously, ceremonially, um, for death, for celebration. And there's an argument that there were pharmacologists, essentially people who were experts in medicinal plants and they knew how to use them properly for, yeah. for healing, how to use them properly for, uh, kind of death as someone is slowly dying, how to use them for celebration and also how to use them for kind of spiritual religious yeah. experiences. I liked when he tied in the idea of the uh, the Salem, Salem witch trials. Like you, cause, he, cause like even as just, just as recently as a few hundred years ago, there were women like in the matriarchal, you know, discussion we were having concocting these weird kind of potions they called them. But like he did mention like maybe that's just, like witches, like a witch hunt, like that could have just been, you know, some 
kind of like resurgence of this kind of a religion, like this resurgence of like drink this potion, have this experience, you know, this is what you're going to find, this is what you'll see, and it becomes like a religious experience. And the Catholic Church, you know, just killed all of these women. They were, for whatever reason, very threatened by the idea of this kind of a religious practice, like with like a woman mediator and a psychedelic experience. And like, why is it that you think it seems like there's a cyclical pattern so often, if you read far enough back in history of societies experiencing sort of these psychedelic potentially revolutions and then another portion of the society or the majority striking down on it. Right. We saw it as, as recently as the sixties with, you know, the LSD and mm-hmm. the psychedelic movement then. Now you're starting to see a resurgence, right? In, sure. in this day and age. And a lot of it's more coming from a sort of academic field, right? Uh, right? It's, it's being done in trials for, again, PTSD and depression in these universities. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like society is starting to get more open to, you know, uh, cannabis being legalized and psilocybin being legalized in certain places. But why do you think it is that some subset or some majority or large authority strikes down over and over again. Yeah, I I I think it's because you know now I mean you have to imagine like so many things matter in that question. Like back in those days not everyone knew how to read, right? Priests knew how to read, kings knew how to read. People who knew how to read were in serious control. Like they really did run the show, right? And if everyone's going around having these psychedelic experiences and awakenings and, you know, realizations and epiphanies, these like, you know, realer than life epiphanies with their experience with the other realms and all that stuff, you have to imagine that, you know, other things like work and, you know, being a good citizen and all that stuff just kind of goes out the window. And I think they're they're just fearful of a mess, you know, um, you know, like a, a realization or something. It's almost like they're trying to keep it from everybody, you know? Yeah. It's the same way. It's always been like the elites kind of know what the truth is and they're trying to keep everybody at bay. It's always been that way, right? I mean, I don't know why though. Like, what's the big deal about... I guess there was just such a taboo attached to just tripping. Like, it got this really bad name attached to it. Like, yeah. you're just tripping balls and it's completely nonsensical. And yeah, you can have a bad experience, but... Since when are bad experiences always and only bad? Like sometimes something bad can happen to you in reality and like it just actually makes you a better person, right? Yeah, I've just I've always been interested in why like alcohol alcohol obviously there was the prohibition and certain religions ban alcohol, but like alcohol has seemed to be pervade globally. There's commercials. So yeah, so widely accepted. And I know this is like a common trope everyone talks about. Like why are alcohol and cigarettes allowed on every street corner? You know, the thing that grows naturally, man, isn't Yeah, yeah. yeah, But I mean it's true. Like why how how come alcohol has and cigarettes and and maybe things that have just been around longer or just been consumed by a wider population of people, whereas maybe these psychedelics and, and cannabis were kind of uh shunned and kind of left in secrecy. Sure. And I don't, I, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's, maybe it's the fact that alcohol is more widely. I was gonna say it's, it's gotta adopted, be adopted. That, that it's, it's more, it's more generally. Um, you can enjoyable. have it in, and you can have it in lower doses and still yeah. have a fun time. Whereas, like, 
maybe some of these other ones. He did mention stuff. as well that like the 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 ergot and all that stuff. Like it was actually it's actually very hard to make it correctly. Like even now, just as recently, Albert Hoffman was the first scientist to, you know, separate whatever you know chemical bonds make up ergot from the other stuff that makes it so nauseating and poisonous, and put it in what we now know as LSD, right? But or or make LSD, but it's it's a more complicated process than fermentation. Like that's another reason why beer is one of the oldest drinks because it's actually a very safe alternative as well because of the fermentation process. A lot of bacteria gets killed off. You know, you have to basically cook the drink. Mm-hmm. Hot drinks like that coffee. It all led to like the the uh, the revolutions in a lot of places. The scientific revolutions, the intellectual revolutions, like just because people weren't dying from contaminated drinks anymore. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. like beer. Wine, tea, tea coffee. Yeah, I, I don't know if we've talked about this, but there is an interesting like correlation between introduction of alcohol, coffee, and tea yeah, into society. With all the enlightenment. Yeah, the enlightenment. Yeah, exactly. And also, but like cigarettes and, and alcohol, get to back to the original point <clears throat> with why is it so widely available. Um, I just found out that like Domino Sugar, for example, is from Puerto Rico, that company. Like, and... Sugar is another one of those things that everyone likes, right? You taste it once, you go, this is great. And, you know, to this day, Domino Sugar is like, it's the sugar. There's no other brand of sugar besides the store brand, right? But Puerto Rico was a, was basically acquired by the United States for that purpose, like for money. It just all comes down to sugarcane farms and creating an, a corporation and like wiping out the Puerto Rican culture and their traditions and getting rid of all of their schools and only teaching them how to speak English. We basically, it's they, we to this day, we even call it an unincorporated territory. It's not a colony. It's not a state. It's just something that we did to make a lot of money. But the, the point is it's sugar. Right, and so is alcohol. By the way, and when you break it all down, it just comes down to sugar. And like, I think that it's just that these things are super addictive, and there's also, you know, a potential for addiction. And there's, and I'm not trying to make it sound like it's just a capitalist evil plan, but isn't it? I mean, I mean, alcohol is addictive. It's destructive. It's it's everyone can enjoy it. Cigarettes, same thing. Sugar, same thing. It's like we, we why not push these things? It drives it drives, you know, uh revenue, it drives profit. But if you're selling, you know, you're gonna meet the ever present, omnipresent, you know, uh ancient god of the universe, it's like I don't think anybody's very in not everyone's interested in doing that. <laughs> yeah, Some yeah, people are true. like, I'd rather not. That's what I mean. You yeah, know? Yeah. I think it's like a very small subset that wants to even explore yeah. that. Because yeah. honestly, I mean, I think like that's what I'm saying about like at a certain point It's a it's a harder sell to say you're yeah. gonna you're gonna see serpents flying in the sky. Right. Then, and, and it's, then look, you're going to have a fun time tonight, I think so. I think that the psychedelic experience, the way it's being treated today is actually very mature and it's very, it's being used to its utmost, you know, efficiency in that a lot of people who are terminally ill, a lot of people who have suffered PTSD, we talked about, they're being administered these doses in a controlled environment and it's helping them with their problem, but... I don't think that the world would necessarily 1,000%, 100% positive, no negatives benefit if everyone experienced the other realm of, you know, reality, I guess. Because it's weird to call that realm the reality that we're in, if, like whatever. But like, I just mean like maybe that the thought back in the day was, 
let's pump the brakes on this movement because we have <laughs> yeah. to like figure out how everyone's going to eat kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like I, I just don't know if it would be like I feel like the message in the book is like, man, if this just kind of kept going, everything would have been fine. Right. But like, isn't everything kind of fine? Well, I think I think the message of the book was what like almost a what if, if just a what if yeah. a what if if like instead of the you know body and blood or like the the wine and, and the wafer that you have yeah or instead of communion or instead of uh what's the one that you get in like eighth grade confirmation confirmation what if almost like a bar mitzvah like when you get to that certain age it's like okay now is your time to experience kind of the the, right, the god right. realm sure sure you know, where you sort of have to reach a certain level of maturity. Well, yeah, maturity. because we were just talking about how, you know, we all kind of feel like we're a similar age. You're kind of stuck in a rut with your career a little bit. You're kind of looking for a change. Like, what am I really doing with my life? Yeah. That kind of thing. And, you know, I feel like psychedelic experiences kind of help rejuvenate that creativity in you or that, you know, drive to go forward. And you maybe, def- you know, it's like it's like the brilliant guy, Michael Pollan, who wrote How to Change Your Mind. He said it's like a it's like a fresh it's it's imagine your thoughts are a snow the sleds, a snowy ski, hill ski and, tracks and your yeah. thoughts are the sleds and psychedelics are a fresh snowfall right so all those original things you know patterns that you would originally fall into not necessarily anymore which is so weird that I agree with that image but you're also it's hard to pinpoint what in the process of a psychedelic experience actually does that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's not like you see the snake or the <laughs> elephant and like you're It you, tells you yeah. like stop, stop stop doing those destructive like nothing right. it's more just like I don't know, you just have these sort of like epiphanies for lack of a better term, but again, I always hate to trying to describe it in words cuz it just doesn't do it justice in any way. I agree with you. It's more jo- so just like you see visions for three to five hours of some sort and you come out of it with just a rejuvenated sense of your your being Mm -hmm. i don't know i even hate myself saying i think what i think what it comes from is the ego death they call it right when you realize that you aren't actually a thing Mm -hmm. it's just you're kind of experiencing everything yeah you you was such a weird word. That's why it's hard to explain because that's what I talked about with the mind again. Like this, it's such a hard thing to discuss because it's it's a paradox in a way. You know, it allows you to experience life without your ego. Yeah. So like you don't feel any sense of identity with yourself, your body, your brain. You're kind of just there's no input, and there's no there's no hardware, no software, right, backing you for a few hours. And it just, it's like that, like, oh my God, I just got a glimpse into, you know, like inner peace, essentially. Sure. And that's why some people feel like it's like God's presence or like this stillness that just illuminates a lot of perceptive realities that you easily could otherwise, almost like, um, you know, some people can experience this without the ingestion of hallucinogenics. Some people can experience it through deep meditation. Mm-hmm. Some people can experience it through breath work, holotropic breathing. Like it doesn't have to come from outside substances. It can come from yourself. It just requires a extreme focus or actually, 
the opposite. It's almost an extreme lack of focus. It's yeah. an extreme Do you see what focus I'm on nothing. with the paradox here, though? Yeah. It's not like you need focus. It's almost like you need a lack of focus, but you still need to focus. <laughs> yeah. But you also need to like let it go. It's, it's this weird fight we're constantly in. It's like I kind of hate this thing in my head. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I'm fighting with it all the time. Like no matter what you figure out, there's something else to figure out afterwards because it's like, you know, well, now what? And now what? And now what? Yeah. And like, it's just this weird, you know, uh, tug of war with yourself in that way. Like, it's all, like, you know, I know Freud talked about this. Like you have you, which is like your ego. And I think I'm saying that correctly. But then there's the persona and then there's the shadow. And like, there's like three people in, in you really. You know, there's who you really are deep down your experiences your traumas your, your traumas all that stuff then there's the person that you you are in front of everybody else well it's interesting like we talk about like psychedelics and everything but you can experience some of these same effects through breathing exercises through meditation um like holotropic breathing like i know totally like wim hof breathing which is like wim one hof thing is that the man i do yeah i mean i do the um i've done the just breathing really hard for 30 breaths in and out. But you have to breathe in like all the fucking way and all the way out. And it's actually really hard to do that. And like it's yeah. actually very uncomfortable. I, every morning I try yeah, to do it. I hate doing it's it. It's very uncomfortable. And um, and then there's it, it's one of those things like it's like a big rush. And then like after the 30th inhale, you hold it and you look around and you go, holy shit. It's a weird... Mm-hmm. Harmony that you're in with your body and the world, and like what you're you don't have, you don't at. have a worry in the world. No, you can't think about anything. All you're doing is is focusing on holding your breath and like right. And that's the surviving, best part is yeah. like, and you're, you're th- the first time you do it, you're gonna be surprised how easy it is and how and like we talked about paradoxes. Like Wim Hof says, there's a paradox right there in that you're not breathing, but you're tranquil. You're you're not panicking. You yeah. should be panicking. But you're literally not breathing and it's been 45 seconds in some cases and you still aren't begging for air. And obviously it's because you depleted all of your CO and got all the O2 back in and whatever. Um, But besides that, there's this undeniable, like I said, harmony, tranquility you feel within your own body, within your own mindset. Like it's almost like you're out of body now and you're kind of experiencing the world not through the usual lens and perspective yeah. that you usually see it through, with, and, which is like the, the 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 lens of like work, what I'm doing later, what I did yesterday, what I got coming up this weekend. All that shit goes away. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what yeah meditation does in some respect when you get into like a deep state like that. Yeah. Um, and if you're not familiar, like we may have talked about him on a previous podcast, but Wim Hof, he's called the Ice Man. Um, he basically does all these feats of, you know, like bathing in ice water and, you know, (laughs) scaling Mount Everest in like short shorts and no shoes and stuff. Like he does all these incredible feats, but he's developed this, essentially this breathing exercise that allows your central nervous system to regulate. I'm probably fucking up the science, but basically it's this breathing system. And if you're interested, um, you can just YouTube, he has an app too, but like Wim Hof 10 minute breathing intro. It's basically 30 deep, as deep as you can go breaths in and deep breaths out 30 in a row. And then you hold your breath. The first round, you do three rounds. First round, you can probably hold your breath for like 30 seconds. Second round, you do 30 more deep breaths. All of a sudden you can hold your breath for like 60 seconds. By the third round, you do it. You can hold your breath for like 
90 yeah. almost two minutes no, plus I've, and I've, like you're just totally calm yeah and you let out that last breath at the mm-hmm. end of it and you just look around and you're like no i've literally wow. held my breath for over two minutes and i'm still like not begging for air yeah. and it's a crazy and like you know time dilation happens there as well like you know do you count while i'm while i'm not breathing yeah no because sometimes i do well, i keep a timer Oh, okay. Yeah, I have a timer going and I but just... You, yeah, you don't look like at it? Like on that 30th, I go like this. I just <laughs> hit the start button. Like I get like I let myself di- dive back into reality just yeah, for one yeah. second. You know, Sometimes I'll do it without the app just to like... I'll, I'll either count myself yeah. or I'll just try perf- purposely not to count. Sure. And see how like the time dilation where you're like, is this has this been two minutes or is this 10 seconds? I can't tell. Um, yeah. We've been talking about psychedelics a lot. Let's talk about something else. But I'm, um, I'm reading... Um, yeah, <laughs> we can talk about another book I'm reading. Sure, it's pretty, I'm I'm only a few like pages in, but it's called How to Talk to Anyone. Oh. It's like 92 ways. To, I don't think I need to read that. You don't need to read that. <laughs> uh, I probably don't either, honestly. But um, <laughs> I thought it was pretty interesting. It's like no, 90, but what's it about? 92 yeah. different like ways of you know being uh, very charismatic and talk to people and like you know because I'm it must be so hard for people to do that. It's interesting, know? right? Like I think it's all relative, right? Like compared to you. I'm not as outgoing. You're extremely outgoing. Com- compared to maybe the average person, I'm very outgoing. In my own estimation, I'm not very outgoing. I, I, find, I tend to find myself in certain social situations not wanting to talk. Not out of uncomfortability, but sometimes just like, yeah, I'm comfortable just being silent and observing. Hence, observe and rapport. Uh-huh. Um, See? Did a lot of observing as a kid, which is why I, I prefer to sit back and watch people before I dive in. I like mm-hmm. to kind of digest everyone's gotcha. body language and so i'm good with that but talking necessarily sometimes i just don't feel the need to do it so this book has 92 strategies which is a lot but some of them are pretty interesting like they sound like stupid hacks but uh like one we can we can role play i'll give you an sure, example sure. Love um so we'll pretend like i've never met you before and like let's say you know our our wives are friends and i'm like you know okay me and you were grabbing a beer yeah. a barbecue and i'm just like Hey, what's up, man? Yeah. Wow. Oh, we're doing it right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, We can role oh. play. Well, me? You want me to just be me? Yeah, be you. And I'll oh, use some of my strategies. All right. Jesus. I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, hey, pal. Well, this hey. is awkward, huh? Yeah, this is awkward. <laughs> but uh, I mean, hey, like, what what did you do this, this weekend? Well, I went and uh, I actually had the first weekend where I didn't have anything to do. That was quite nice. You actually. didn't have anything? Nothing. I mean, I it was it was for me, it was wonderful because I'm always so busy and I just really enjoy for the first time in my, you know, whole summer, basically, just being able to sit on the goddamn couch and just watch some TV with the wife, crack a bottle of wine, have a nice Saturday. It was have fantastic. a nice Saturday. That's yeah. great. So you're busy all the time. Usually. Usually I'm busy. I'm always going... See, yeah, I already see what you're doing. Right, yeah. You're making me talk. <laughs> yep. You're making me talk. And you know what it is? It's not even... That but I'm, it's, ma- I'm not uncomfortable. And yeah. I'm not so like, oh, I got to talk. This like, this strategy to me, it like I hate calling it a strategy, but it works so well because it's yeah, ha- this happened it. to me this past weekend. I ran into literally um, my wife. My wife ran into a friend and her boy, very nice guy, so it wasn't too awkward, but like it got to a point where we were talking for like 20 minutes and I'm like, all right, I kind of ran out of topics to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this strategy is basically you just repeat two what words back said. in a question. So you said, you know, you know, normally I'm very busy. And I go, you're very busy? Right. And then and I then, felt the need to, to go on and explain yeah. that. And then I figured what else you said. But then you just repeat back. If you're just like, yeah, you know, like, you know, 
I uh, played some golf. You played some golf? Yeah. Because yeah. then it just it forces you to expand on it. Does, it. it does. It does. And also, you know what? And I can imagine for, I'm sorry, for an introverted person, that's gold. That's a yeah. golden nugget for minimal effort. Yeah. <laughs> that's gold. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. Like, honestly, you said that you don't like, I, w- I feel like I would benefit from this book too, because honestly, a lot of my outgoing behavior is 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 uncomfortability and and it's not like i hate that it's quiet it's just let's fill the room up let's fill the room let's get this thing going mm-hmm. and I don't, i'm just not sh- i'm shameless like i'll just do it and embarrass that, myself see that's interesting though that that's but, your because mine is more so i walk into a room and i'm like let me feel this out you know right. so i kind of just like like almost like a like a like a, a bass player or a jazz band. I'm just like, all right, let me just hold yeah. until we get the groove a little bit sure. and then I'll join in and start playing the melody. That's probably know? the normal way to be, to be <laughs> honest. I mean, I show up and do a backflip. It's like, you know, Jesus. <laughs> hey, it this works. Guy. Yeah, it works. Yeah. But that's just one strategy. Can you just, just expand a little on the Honestly, I, I'm so... Well, you just started, Just right? started it. The other ones are so obvious. It's just like, you know... Freaking smile born. Like, right, right, um, right, 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 right. Well, when you walk into a door frame or walk into a new room, uh, basically use the door frame as a reminder to like back to your posture, fix your posture and like mm. smile. Okay. Because as soon as you walk into a room and you're smiling, let's you, say so you just make eye contact with someone, they immediately think that's, that's a nice person. Let me yeah. go. I want to talk to them. Yeah. Um, the other one was just, uh, what else was there? Eye contact, obviously, like have sticky eyes, you know, mm-hmm. you, you always keep the spotlight on the other person. Yeah. Ask them questions. Ask questions. Is Some huge. of them are pretty obvious. So I'm, I'm, no, but that's I'm kind of, so I'm skimming, people. I'm skimming through it past the obvious ones, you know, of just like match the body language of the other yeah. person and looking to see more of ones that like, oh, I've never heard that one. That's interesting. Yeah. I know that, um, like some people, it's not so obvious though. Like some people, for whatever reason, like I wanted to ask you about this too. Like, what do you feel about? Because, like, you know, we just talked about how, the way I am and the way that you are, and we we didn't necessarily. I mean, you'll never know the how the the exponential meaning of things that something so small can mean something, you know, catas- that it can mean it can have a catastrophic effect on your life. Something tiny, but like my point is, our upbringings were basically the same. You know, similar ge- geographically, our parents, whatever. And like we're very different, right? And my sisters, you and your brother, like they're you're all different from each other, even though you grew up in the same household, right? Do you think that we are who we are at the end of the day from birth? And our experiences only have so much to do with who we become, or do you feel that you're entirely shaped by your experiences? I think this ties back into almost how we started the podcast about like the, the paradox of the consciousness, because you can very easily fall into your, whatever it is, your autopilot or default mode is. Right. right? So That's, there is an autopilot. I think, I think there is too. I think, and I don't have kids and, but maybe you can speak to it or maybe your daughter's not quite old enough yet, but I've heard other people basically say like, they your kids kind of come out of the box a certain way and there's really nothing you could have done yeah. to to change that like one kid even though you treat them so calmly can just be wild wild and just boundless energy and another kid could just be you know the like the chillest kid on earth even though he lives in a frantic life so 
And sometimes they just have hobbies and interests and you're just like, neither the mom or the dad have those and and you have no idea. Um, I think, yes, you know, there's obviously the nature versus nurture argument, but I think as you get older too, you start to realize you can also just totally, you can decide to change whenever you want. You know what I mean? And I think that's what's interesting Yeah, is you can trick your mind and your subconscious into like let's say if you're a really shy person and you've always told yourself i'm really shy you know everyone uh, you introduce yourself as that yeah sorry i'm really shy and you know you know i I, you know no i I shun away right one day you can literally just decide i'm gonna be the most outgoing person i know and just pretend to be outgoing and do these tactics and stuff Mm -hmm. and Literally in six months, you can just become an Whole outgoing person, person just yep. from telling yourself almost a lie. It's true. And believing it. So that's what I've always found interesting and why I've always been curious about exploring a lot of these books and ideas and these psychedelic ideas. Because I think the subconscious is so complex, but also so easily manipulable. Yeah. Um, Scott Adams, the creative of Dilbert, has this line that your brain is, is a moist computer. That you, yeah. that you can program. So it's a computer uh, in that it's very complicated, but right. it's moist in that it's adaptable. Right. You can alter it and change it as long as you know kind of the tricks and how to mm-hmm. trick it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. I, I think that, like you, like you said, like when I was younger, I kind of, I wasn't always like this, you know? Like I was a little more crazy. I didn't really speak as well as I speak now. But I just kind of decided one day, like I'm just going to stop being that way and just you mm-hmm. know read a little more and you know conduct myself a certain way and talk a certain way and get more articulate and I've always been obsessed with rappers and like George Carlin and people who can speak quickly and cleverly and put things together in a way that's concise and articulate and one day I remember like just being like I'm gonna try as hard as I can to be that way but I wasn't like that I was literally shy when I was a kid you know, and then I just was like, yo, this is boring. I'm going to stop being this way, mm-hmm. you know, and then I did. I just like, and then I just never went back, you know, I just changed. So yeah, like it's a little bit of both, right? Like you, you are who you are, but you're also what you're told, whether it's you or somebody yeah, else. That's a big one. You're and also I, what you're told. I think, yeah, like, you're, like, I think you're told a lot and that reinforces certain behavior. I actually just watched, um, I was just watching uh, the the Swamp Kings, the documentary about the University of Florida football team with Tim Tebow. Oh, cool! And uh, he was saying how when he so when he was coming out of high school, he was touted as like the this like God's gift, like he is the best football player on the planet, like he's going to come to Florida and save the program. And he talked about when he was a kid, he he wasn't supposed to survive. Like when he was in his mother's womb, she had oh, all, all these complications and. He was the youngest of like five or six children. And when he came out, like his whole life, his parents were like, you're a miracle baby. You were destined to do great things. And there's a quote that kind of gives you chills in it. That Tim Tebow's like, when you get told that you're going to do special things your whole life, something happens. You start to believe it. Mm-hmm. He's like, and you re- you know, you feel like you can do special things. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. Encouragement. Like, I was like, it's cool to see that in a positive light. Right. Obviously, it can become destructive at a certain point, but like you can imagine the same thing as in a negative effect, right? If you, Dude, if you constantly call your kid a shithead right. their whole life, like they're going to play into that almost. Yeah. And like they'll do it to please you because, hey, that's who 
they want me to be right. apparently. So I got to, I would love to, for my parents to like me. And so maybe I should be what they want. But like literally yesterday I heard Shaquille O'Neal say the exact same thing that his father, who was a military drill sergeant, like a very, very conscientious, you know, you know, on time, all that shit. No, sir. Yes, sir. And you know, you better do what he says kind of person. He told Shaq his whole life, big man, he called him big man, always big man. If you listen to me and do what I say, you will become the greatest who ever lived. And he never really specified in what, really. But he just always told him, like, if you listen to me, you will, you're, you're destined to become the greatest there ever was. And Shaquille, he literally said, like, you know, it's not just that, um, you know, he was a drill sergeant and I didn't want to let the guy down because I was afraid of him. But he made me believe that because, you know, you're just told it constantly. And like that, it's not just like you're told it. Like it's it's be the way the the way we say he you're told it makes it sound so simple. But what that really means is someone's putting in the idea in your head that you're going to be the greatest. Like well, it's, so it's, you start it's to like, believe it's like that. the moist computer. Imagine programming into the computer right. every day of its life. Right, you're going to be the greatest. You're going right. to be the greatest. Right, right. then you're just watering yeah. that plant every right. day. It's not so simple as like, okay, what's really going? On? You're you're creating this. You're 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 changing this thing's future. Which is why, which is why I say it. like, you can do that as an adult too. And it sounds super cheesy, and it also sounds really difficult because it is. Yeah, it gets harder as you get older, obviously. But imagine you're 26 years old and you feel down in the dumps and imagine every day telling yourself or looking yourself in the mirror while you're brushing your teeth, you're destined to be the greatest. You're destined, mm-hmm. like, it's stupid, but like you do it enough days in a row, you start to trick your brain. Yeah. And like, you don't necessarily have to believe it, but if you do it enough days in a row, you, you start to almost self-identify amazing, with it. amazing, right? Yeah. It's, and, you know, that's what's been going on with me lately. We've talked about how, like, you know, we're feeling like we're in a rut kind of a little bit. And I'm glad yeah. we're honest about that because, like, I start, you know, you see all these people on Instagram and shit who are jacked and rich <laughs> and, like, doing everything they can all the time and, like, whatever, private jet, working from Dubai and, like, whatever. And you're like, man, I'm just, like, some asshole who goes to work every day and I don't really have much to show for it. But then, like... They all say these things like, and it could just be Tony Robbins kind of like bullshit motivational talk, but I don't know if it is anymore because all these people say that seem to say the same thing, which is if you just stop lying to yourself that you, you know, well, what are you going to, I can't quit my job. I can't move. I can't enter an entirely new field and be successful. If you just start telling yourself that you can do those things, mm-hmm. five years is going to go by and you're going to be rich. And you're going to be successful and you're going to be your own boss. And all these people like Andy Elliott, even though he's got really tight pants and his nipples are always coming through his shirt, (laughs) it's very funny. He's a very funny, intense person. He literally said to himself, I don't get tired. He said, I was tired. I was going through burnout, he called it. He's like, burnout's not real. It's just something somebody made up and wrote a book about for no reason to make some money. Realistically, you lost your drive, right? but, But he goes... When I was tired from selling and trying to make all this money, I just, every day, I'm not tired. I don't get tired. I don't get tired. And guess yeah, what? It works. I don't get tired yeah. anymore. Never. I'm never tired. Good catch. Mosquito? Yeah. So he goes, yeah, he goes, I don't get tired. So literally you can trick your brain. Like it's like anything else. Like David Blaine. Like you can just tr- trick, yeah, no, my heart races. It's, it's not racing. It's slow. Well, I've, you know, I've whatever. Been wor- I've been working on this this blog post for a while, and it's basically like. But the- it, wait, real quick, before you get to your blog post, it makes me feel like fuck, man. 
what if I do that? Yeah. What if I just start doing that? Will I like a literal? Will I like actually achieve my like dreams? Like, is it that easy? You just start talking to yourself a certain way. Fuck. I mean, it's. I mean, you know, you know, Dave Chappelle obviously has a joke about that. It's about like the secret. Where it's just like, if oh you, if yeah, you, the secret. It's yeah, like yeah, if you yeah, just yeah, believe, yeah. he's like, well, what about the fucking kids in Africa? You think yeah, if they yeah, just yeah, believe yeah, and yeah, tell yeah. themselves every day? It's so true. So yeah, I mean, obviously, you yeah, have to, we're in you, a, you have to you yeah. have to do stuff. But of course, the idea that I really gravitate towards is, um, obviously, just like you don't get, uh, you don't get self confidence by you know shouting affirmations in the mirror, right? That's mm. that's not how you become successful. You get it by having a stack of undeniable proof that you are who you say you are, right? So you have to do the things, but I think by saying those things to yourself every day in a positive light, every single day, reminding yourself, I'm not tired, I'm going to be successful every day, you start almost emitting an energy that's different. It's Mm -hmm. a different confidence. It's a different just force through life that you start opening yourself to seeing more opportunities that, that align with that. Right. So you're just, you're almost changing the lens and clear dusting off the glasses of how you used to look and giving yourself a new outlook that puts yourself in a position. So you still have to do the shit, of course, but it puts yourself, well, it's like taking steroids. It gives you a few more steps forward towards that thing that you need to be doing versus where you were kind of on your heels. It puts you on your toes a little bit more. Uh huh. And I think that's the way I look at it. But yeah, I was saying I I'm working on this blog post. That's kind of like the, all the best lessons I learned from every self-help book I've read over the years. And I came down with kind of these 13 things, but really I've been writing this for so long because there's a lot of shit to com- uh, compile, but honestly it comes down to like two things and you get this through every person that the two like truths of self-help that if I needed to tell anyone how to get better or what to do, number one is you have to be able to keep the promises mm-hmm. of that you say that you're going to do. Your you, have word. To, you have to keep promises to yourself. If you say you're going to get up in the morning and go to the gym, you have to do it because that's how you develop that self-confidence and that discipline. The second is the story you tell yourself. So are you going to be a victim or are you going to be an, an actioner? Are you going to be a doer? And the story you tell yourself, which is like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm shy and I, you know, I I always have that two o'clock where I just get tired and, you know, I just don't get how these guys stay in such good shape all the time. If that's the story you tell yourself, great. You're always going to be like that. Right. The story you tell yourself is I'm disciplined. I work out every day and I do everything I need to do and I still get my business done and I'm going to find a way to be successful and I'm not going to get tired. If you tell yourself that enough, right. And you keep those promises to yourself. Those two things combined, you'll figure it out. That's everything. You'll needs. be successful. Yeah, yeah. I think that now that hearing you talk about that, it's almost like the the, the self affirmation in the mirror kind of. It's like it's like a, it's like going to the gym. It's like lifting weights, but it's for your aura or something. Like it strengthens your yeah. presence, and like you still have to do the work. You still have to lift the weights, but the result is that you're stronger now. You look a little different. You look more confident. You look more you know, maybe intimidating if that's what you're looking for. Or, and it's, it's like running. Like I just picked up running again recently because I have a thing coming up and I'm training. I mean, dude, that, you know, that first run after being on the couch, it's fucking brutal, bro. You, you can't believe you're going to have to run 13 of these bitches, right? Because it's only a mile and a half and you're fucking dogging. But then all of a sudden you're running three, then four, then six. Then you can run eight miles. And like the run, the train 
the training is the is the talking to yourself because you're putting in this effort like even though you think you can't do this you're doing it you know what i mean and like eventually your body conditions itself to make what you're trying to manifest a reality and whether it's speech or whether it's running or lifting weights your body will change as long as you keep doing it to yourself yeah and, and yeah. how how good do you feel after that Dude. 13 miles right because like you oh my God. or however well, long no, you I set up run the 13 yet, but, but like yes. you feel like you're like you know i kept that promise to myself yeah like i like dude and there's nothing better than when you're you had a shit day at work and you're like i you know you know you always say to yourself ah you know i'll just run tomorrow I, i'm really tired today but then like that's what's great about a fucking apple watch is like it'll pop up like oh allison ran a 5k <laughs> well i can't run now i have to run yeah you know now i have to run so that's another thing is like you know influence and the people you surround yourself with we can go on forever but yeah, yeah and it also like yeah. um to, to go back to like the the story you tell yourself i've even noticed it with it goes back to the moist computer thing right with the fire department sometimes i'm in situations whether it's in training sure. or in real life where i'm nervous because i don't know what the fuck to do i don't know what to expect right and i feel that nervousness in me where you start to almost like not panic but just like Oh God, like what if I screw up? What like and you start telling yourself like, oh God, like just don't screw up. That'll be really embarrassing. They're gonna make fun of you for a while. And I can quickly just re like twist that into oh, this is exciting. This is something new. I'm excited for this. I've never experienced this before. I'm gonna learn a lot from this experience. Like this will be an awesome story to tell. Yeah. And it's literally it's the same like biochemical emotion that I'm feeling in my heart, my my head, my chest, my legs, my hands, my sweat, excitement and nervousness. But you're aiming it Are the exact same feelings, like biochemically, but I just changed the story I'm telling myself. Instead of uh-huh. being instead of being a victim of nervousness and what if everything goes wrong, I change it to how exciting is this and how cool is this going to be when I do it and the lessons I'm going to learn from it. Even if I screw up, it's going to be cool and exciting. Yeah, and I'm going to be amped to do it. Yeah, and and one more thing, because you, you mentioned quickly before we wrap it up, the, like you said, these guys are going to make fun of me for a while, right? I think a big part of it, too, is like, you know, and guys talk about this, too, like, you know, sometimes people don't, it's not that, they, I feel like they word it incorrectly. It's not that they don't want to see you succeed or that they don't want to see you do well or they're jealous of you or whatever. Maybe that's the case sometimes, but sometimes people just like like to make fun of people because they made a mistake. Right or that they they you're doing something that you don't know how to do yet. You're a fool. You're stumbling around like a moron, right? And whenever you feel that way, or whenever you're doing something like that, I think it's important in life to know it's not are they gonna talk shit about me. It's when mm-hmm. and accepting that, accepting that. Who really gives a flying fuck if anyone says that makes fun of you when you're not around or like you know talk shit about you behind your back that actually has no literal effect on you at all right. and if you're not willing to be a fool and make mistakes and put yourself in situations where you're not comfortable you're never going to learn anything so like you have to be able to accept that people are going to talk shit about you it's like starting this show there's definitely people who have seen it who have been like who are these two idiots why do they think that they're worth right. listening to you know of course but you just have to go i, I don't it's it's not if it's when and who right. cares yeah, you know? the real fool isn't the isn't the person who tried and failed. The real fool is a person who never tried. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, like w- let's let's dumb it down to those two things again. It's uh, keeping keep your promises to yourself, to yourself and tell yourself a good story. And tell yourself a good story. Yeah. Be kind to yourself. Yeah. Be kind to yourself. Yeah. Bum 
Let's wrap it up. <laughs> All right. All right. Man. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for uh, tuning in to episode 11 of the Observer Report Show. Make sure to click like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. You know, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. It's all there. Yeah. YouTube. It's all there. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. And they'll tell a friend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. Maybe he'll be on the show. Someday. Share it. Come in for an interview, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to get into the interviews. We got to get some. Put uh, up pamphlets. Go to Staples. Print out a bu- like 500 copies of the Observer Report show with our faces on it. Staple it to telephone poles. Do whatever you got to do. Spread the word. I mean, what else are you doing? Yeah. Nothing. Right. So just go help help a brother out. Help help a brother to help a brother. <laughs> <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I gotta go to bed. All right. Let's go to bed. Good, Good night. Bye.